Hi, I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. Welcome back to the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. Before we talk with our TechCrunch writers, here are some of the biggest stories this week. Sheryl Sandberg is stepping down as Meta COO. Sheryl Sandberg announced on Facebook that she's leaving Meta after more than a decade as the company's chief operating officer. The chief growth officer for the company, Javier Olivan, will take over as COO. And Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg wrote in a Facebook post that his position will be more of a traditional COO role. What that means is basically that unlike Sandberg, it won't be really an even division of power. And Mark's probably going to have even more control over Facebook than he already does. Sandberg has had several PR blunders in recent years, including sharing false information about Facebook's role in the Stop the Vote movement before the January 6th insurrection, and then more recently, reportedly leveraging the Meta Communications team to kill a story about Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick, her former boyfriend, who's now accused of fostering a culture of sexual harassment at the gaming company. Nate Chassain, a top former executive at the highly valued NFT startup OpenSea, was arrested Wednesday and charged with wire fraud and money laundering in connection with the scheme to commit insider trading, according to a press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York. Chassain had been fired from OpenSea after he was accused of front-running purchases of NFT collections that he knew were about to be featured prominently on the homepage of OpenSea. TC Crypto reporter Lucas Matney wrote that the Justice Department and SDNY U.S. Attorney's Office have begun getting more active in prosecuting crypto crimes, but that the NFT space has largely evaded much action, which made the announcement a bit of a shock to insiders. Watch TC for more reporting as this story unfolds. We continue to see a wave of layoffs, and TechCrunch reporters Natasha Mascarenas and Tej Kenny Okafor have covered two of the latest. To start, Tage covered the Dubai headquartered mobility startup Swivel's announcement that it's laying off 32% of its workforce, which is roughly 400 people. This is after it went public last March via a SPAC merger with Queen's Gamut Growth Capital. In another surprising and sizable layoff, A16Z-backed Loom cut 14% of staff just one year after becoming a unicorn. Loom is an enterprise collaboration video messaging service, which got a big COVID boom. In her article, Natasha pointed out the similarities between Loom and Hopin, which also experienced layoffs earlier this year. Loom, like Hopin, benefited from employees switching to remote work and hybrid work environments, but it's a little uncertain what their future is going to be as people move back into the office and there's an opposite reaction. These are just the most recent in what has been a very long and brutal May for tech layoffs. And according to the latest roundup by Natasha and Amanda Silberling on the site, layoff numbers in total have topped 15,000 that we know about. First, we're talking with Marianne Azevedo about two fintech giants, Affirm and Stripe, partnering up and what that means for competitors. Hi, Marianne. Hi. Thanks for coming on. We want to hear all about Affirm teaming up with Stripe amid lots and lots of activity in the BNPL space. Is that how you pronounce it? I see it written a lot. No one says like Ben or there's no... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not that I've heard beanpole. Uh, no, pretty much BNPL. Great. Okay. So uh, in, in case listeners aren't aware, though I've, it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't be, BNPL is the buy now, pay later phenomenon. And basically, it's sort of like credit without credit. It's kind of 
installment plans can be with interest or without interest for smaller purchases that are broken up sometimes weeks, sometimes months, depending on the plan you choose and the provider and everything else. But Affirm is one of the earlier players in this. They're founded by, it's Max Levkin, right? Is that right, Marianne? Yeah, he's the also co-founder of PayPal. Yeah, so they're making big strides here over the past few years and then tons of other entrants. Can you tell us a little bit about this team up now with Stripe, also a huge player in its own, right? Yeah, so Stripe is one of the largest payments companies in the world that really helps other companies accept payments in a variety of ways, in person or online. And last year was valued at $95 billion. It has millions of customers. So the fact that a firm has teamed up with Stripe, is it is a big deal because it opens up a huge revenue stream for a firm and that they now have access to provide their buy now, pay later services to Stripe's customers, which are, again, in the millions. So, yeah. you know, that's that's quite a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I think you've seen a firm team up with other payments players. So how does this kind of like go beyond maybe some of their other partnerships, including those with sort of Shopify or WooCommerce? Yeah, I think the fact that Stripe is specifically focused on payments is where this really is a little bit more unique. Mm. You know, Shopify, of course, helps merchants sell to others. And that that was a big deal as well. But I think that now that Stripe can say to its millions of customers, hey, now you have the opportunity to provide to your customers a way to pay in installments, it also is a big deal for them. That's to prospective customers and existing customers, because those customers prior to this didn't have that opportunity to say to their clients, hey, you can pay over installments. So it it really just is a big deal all around. Yeah, for sure. Just in general, with the buy now, pay later trend, like I know for myself personally, and every time I hit a site basically and go to a checkout option, you typically see that now. I think in mm-hmm. Canada specifically where I'm based, like a lot of times it'll say, you know, pay over time with a firm, uh, you know, US only or whatever. I think they acquired Paybright. Someone acquired Canada's Paybright recently. I think it was a firm. I think you're right. <laughs> but they were the biggest buy now, pay later platform here. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of M&A going on too and global expansion. But What do you think generally about this trend and what have you been seeing in your reporting? I've been looking at Buy Now, Pay Later for a couple of years now, and it's an interesting space. And there are, I think, pros and cons, right? There are people who advocate and say that, hey, this is great. It really opens up accessibility. It gives people who otherwise would not be able to make certain purchases or have access to, say, a a traditional credit card. It gives them a way to be able to buy things that they couldn't before. So when you think of it from that perspective, it sounds great, right? You're opening up accessibility. It's got an inclusion angle. But then, of course, there are critics and there is some validity, the critics that have concerns about buy now, pay later, just really being another form of debt. Mm -hmm. And that there's worry that a lot of people get in over their heads. And there's this conception, okay, you're paying in installments, but you're still owing money, right? right? And then there are people like you've read studies where they say, well, some people are so worried about making their installment payments, they don't pay rent or things like that. So it's not quite as rosy as it seems. A firm, for example, though, I did talk to their CTO recently, and he told me why he feels like a firm is is a little bit different maybe than other buy now, Mm -hmm. pay later players. And that, yes, it does charge interest sometimes, not always, but that it tries to be very transparent and that it tells a customer up front, okay, this is how much you're going to pay in interest. Right. Exact 
fixed amount so there's no surprises and that they don't charge late fees or interest fees. However, I did ask, what if someone is delinquent and they just don't pay? Eventually, that person would have to be reported to a, a credit bureau, but, but their on-time payments would also be reported, is what he told right. me. Just for listeners also, in case you want to read more about that, that article by Marianne is on our TechCrunch Plus platform, and that's Affirm CTO Talks Transparency and the Tech That Makes BNPL Possible. But yeah, those are interesting points to bring up. And I think, you know, it is true that they are, I think, maybe more transparent than a lot of competitors in that if they're charging interest, they present you up front, they tell you the total cost of borrowing right up front, which is a nice thing to do versus more predatory lenders. But I've heard this argument from the other side. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to tell how much is an argument made in good faith and how much is coming from the vested interests, right? Because there's huge vested interests in the traditional lender category that are not at all thrilled that this is coming in, right? But right, right. the argument would be that if you're eschewing credit bureaus and regular credit facilities, you're not building credit, right? So any good behavior that you're doing on these installment plans doesn't go towards any kind of larger goal for you or building of any kind of credit facility for future use, right? Yeah. And you can see that argument. Although one day, I mean, this may change. There's a lot of things happening in this whole world of credit history. And for example, I wrote a story recently about another company that helps people build credit by giving them reporting to the bureaus, the fact that they're making on-time payments to subscriptions like Netflix or Mm -hmm. Spotify. We never know what's going to happen one day. Like perhaps these installment payments will be included as part of a credit history. But you're right for now, not necessarily. Yeah, there's a lot of concern around buy now, pay later, as we mentioned. And there's regulatory issues, you know, that the whole space is being looked at nationally here in the U.S. So it will be interesting to see how all of that plays out over time. And yeah, to your point, like I think we've even seen a lot of the big bureaus, including Equifax and TransUnion, come out and say that they are going to eventually begin tracking these BNPL programs in some way and making them part of your score, right? So it's not like you can just continue doing this forever and sort of escape the eye of Sauron, so to speak, or whatever, right? Right, (laughs) right. Do you have any feelings about the kind of, we talked a little bit about the risk, but you know, you see regulators globally start to express concern about this too. I know in some countries, including like New Zealand and Australia, regulators have said, this is a worrying trend Mm -hmm. on a global scale that Mm -hmm. people are doing this more often. And you bring up subscriptions, right? Mm -hmm. That's a thing where I think we're all in this situation now where a lot of us don't even remember how many of these subscriptions we have active, right? Like on Netflix, I can't keep track. I have no idea. Every once in a while, I have to go through and do an audit and be like, oh, I don't know. So does this threaten to become that? Are you concerned about it in the same way that some of these regulators might be? No, I think it goes back to the concern about this really being another form of debt because it is. And I think it's wrapped in a prettier package because you're not paying necessarily with a card. Although (laughs) I have to caveat that because Klarna, another large, very large player in this space, just this week announced that it has got a new card that... Consumers can use. Oh, they're issuing their own? Klarna did this week announce that it's teamed up with Marketa. They have a new card. It's called a Klarna card that brings its pay and for service to a physical Visa card. So right. consumers can pay over time in four equal 
they say interest-free payments for any in-store online purchase. So, you know, now we're starting to like blend these two worlds together, right? Because previously I think buy now, pay later was very much a virtual thing. And Mm -hmm. now it's becoming very common, even in physical stores and not just at the register, you know, inputting some information, but here we are, Klarna now has an actual physical card. So they're starting to overlap more and more, right? The two worlds. Yeah, that's interesting because Klarna, I don't know the back end mechanics of it. So maybe this is still true, but Klarna famously began, I think, in Germany because it was like the German culture was very allergic to sort of credit, right? Like they want <laughs> bank payments. They want to pay directly from the bank. And Klarna was like, we'll we'll do that. We'll provide you direct payments and we'll split it up. And I think the trend, some people cite the BMPL popularity coming from a similar attitude among younger consumers, like younger mm. consumers are also a little credit allergic and would prefer that something is tied to their account, but they still want the flexibility of like spread out payments, right? So yeah, absolutely. And again, there is a lot of appeal to that, but I would say, you know, with a firm, for example, I've made one large purchase using a firm and I split those payments up on a credit card. So, you know, it's... Yeah, it's not necessarily one to one with that. I don't know that we should get into yeah, deeply we're, into we're my t- purchase practices, <laughs> but I've done a lot of these and they're usually over card, right? But it, it like depending on how responsible you are with it, but it does make more sense to line them up with payment periods, right? Like, and that's something that hasn't typically been the case for credit cards unless you just do it yourself manually and diligently, right? Right, and if you're splitting up, say, a two thousand dollar purchase over a two year period. Of course, you know, any interest you may incur is going to be far less than if you charge a $2,000 item just at one time. And then if you're not able to pay it off, you know, then the interest you pay over time is just going to keep accumulating. So, so again, there's lots of advantages despite all the concerns in the space. It is super competitive. You know, as we've mentioned, we've got Klarna, we've got Afterpay that was bought by Square, which is now Block. Klarna is really making a big push in the U.S., so it's increasingly getting more competitive with a firm. And even though Klarna's had some recent bumps, like hits to his valuation and some layoffs, I think it will be also interesting to see how that plays out as they continue to push here in the U.S. Yeah, and you did end your article with those kind of layoffs. So do you do you see that? Is there a sign of significant trouble in this sector overall as we move into economic uncertainty and downturn? Or do you still have high confidence that this will remain a strength area? I think overall it'll remain fairly strong. I feel like Klarna may have just fallen into the same, I don't know if trap is the right word, that that many tech companies did over the past year and a half and just mm-hmm. probably overhired, got ahead of itself and is now trying to reset. So I'm not 100% sure how indicative that is of the overall health of the space. I mean, I think our firm had some pretty impressive fiscal third quarter numbers. But, you know, having said that, we are in a very different environment, economic environment that we were at a year ago. And that may certainly impact consumer spending, which in turn would impact the performance of these companies. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much for joining us. I'm really looking forward to the next iteration of this trend, which is buy now, pay never. And (laughs) hopefully that arrives soon. (laughs) Thanks, Daryl. Next, we're talking to TechCrunch hardware editor Brian Heater about next week's Apple Worldwide Developer Conference, where they'll make a number of announcements. If you want to read more about what could happen, Sarah Perez has an article on the site about Apple's iOS 16 and the rumored features that could come with that update. Hey, Brian. Hello. Welcome to the TechCrunch podcast. So happy to have you here to talk about WWDC, otherwise known as the Worldwide Developers Conference. You don't even need to be still here. officially yeah. that. 
right? <laughs> well, yeah, the name is kind of self-explanatory, I guess, on like the focus of the overall event. But the keynote, the keynote generally has something for everyone, including general consumers. Do you want to give us a little bit of a preview of what you're kind of expecting out of this year's big WWDC keynote, which is Monday, right? It's Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. The name, we, we could right. talk about the name for a second just because I feel like sure. IO is a good name. Build is a good name. Uh-huh. WWDC feels a little bit clunky to me. <laughs> it does. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of old fashioned. I mean, I think like they were, it is a relic. It is a relic. You should suggest new ones to them <laughs> if you get the chance. Okay. Should I raise my, I raise my hand yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, on the live stream? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as you probably know, a lot of the early information that we've seen from it is, it's from Gurman. Let's be, Mark Gurman, Bloomberg, let's from be honest. Bloomberg. Um, yeah. Leaks here and there, but, you know, he, he got the vast majority of the good stuff. The way it usually works, you know, as you said, the D is for developers. That means that it's really software-focused up front. So uh, day one... The big things are going to be the new version of iOS, the new version of iPad OS, Mac OS, and then maybe some hardware. I, mm-hmm. I'm maybe 50-50 on them right now. I was looking back, and I, I'm actually surprised. I They didn't announce anything last year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, I feel like recently they don't announce much. For, for a while, it was like pretty consistent that it was like new Mac time was around them because it was kind of like toys for developers. But yeah, they've really been shying away from using this as a major launch point for anything super interesting. I think the one rumor we're seeing kind of late stage rumor is this MacBook Air, but it seems mm-hmm. like you said, like the chances of that are not as definite as a lot of late stage leaks where it's like, we'll definitely see that. Like it looks like, People are kind of like, yeah, we might, but we might not also. Yeah, I mean, I think we got spoiled when they came out with the M1 chip because there was a period of about two years there where every single time they did an event, there were like three or four Macs. Yeah, um, yeah. The Air is kind of sort of overdue for an upgrade. I mean, one of the first three computers that came out with the M1 was the Air. Right. But it was basically, you know, like pretty much all of those early devices, it was pretty much the old build just with the new chips inside. Mm-hmm. And the the rumor here is that basically a lot of what went into the MacBook Pro is going to be incorporated into the air. So, you know, that'll mean a different design and hopefully a camera. Better screen, maybe? Oh, better camera. Yeah, that'd be better good. Better camera. Maybe a notch. Maybe we're getting the notch. Oh, boy. Remember yeah, what a furor that was? <laughs> Everyone but, is really excited about getting a, a notch on their MacBook Air. I'm sure that's a hotly anticipated feature, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think there was one person on staff. I, I don't even need to say who it was. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was very upset about it for you know, about a week. Yeah. Um, but, but it, you know, I have the new MacBook right here and I've been using it. I don't know if you have it all, Benny. It, it's not no, I do too, yeah. Yeah. No, it disappears essentially, like within yeah. I don't know a couple of days. So yeah, it's a non-issue. Yeah, I mean, other I think they're overdue for a Mac Pro, and I do feel like. Do you remember the last event they had? There was like a little bit of a hint that we have one more yeah. device coming to fill it out. So they, and I think they actually, if I remember correctly, said the Mac Pro by name. Yeah, they explicitly said the Mac yeah. Pro is the last one that they need to do to complete their transition to Apple Silicon, and the last announcement they'll have around. Well, they didn't say around specifically around the M1. So that was the big question. Mark, I think that a lot of people have had was whether 
there would be an M1 based Mac Pro or whether that would be kind of the flagship of the new M2 and whether we'd see it at WWDC or not. Because that's another one that's like kind of very developer focused. I think they announced at least the trash can Mac. Remember that year they did the trash can Mac? Mm-hmm. It was well before it actually came out and they just kind of had them under glass to be like, oh, look at this. Actually, oh, I, th- I think they also don't love when people refer to it as the trash can Mac. Yeah, but. or the Darth Vader. Uh, we, uh, Darth yeah, we, Vader, were, yeah. We, we were there for the cheese grater one too, which was the last mm-hmm. the last big Mac Pro, which that must have been, what, 2018, 2019, right before the pandemic, I think. Yeah. One of the, yeah, one of the last videos they did. But the M2 rumor, I think, makes sense from the standpoint of like, what can you do, like conceivably do to actually make a Pro device at this point? Yeah. I mean, just looking at the numbers on all these systems, um, the studio, the iMac, everything else. If you've got the M1 Max, like, how do you, if if I'm Apple, how do I possibly distinguish these things for pro users? Yeah, and it's becoming, even when we talk about the Air and the Air coming out, I think that it's telling that a lot of the attention is around the physical design. Because if you went and picked up an M1 MacBook Air right now, you would be very happy with the performance for what, like, 80, 90% of users, right? Like no one is going to feel like that's a pokey machine in the near future, right? It's not screaming for a performance update under the hood. Although to be fair, one, it's the Mac Air. So people have always talked about how it looked and two, it's an Apple product. So those have always been, you know, leading the conversation there. But yeah. But it is, there hasn't really been a meaningful redesign of the Mac Air really since the beginning. I mean, there've been some, you know, subtle changes, but it's like the iMac where it just, you know, it was good design and it just stayed put for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I would be excited to do that, but I'm honestly more excited about some of the software announcements coming yeah. out. And I think... Oh, I have one more hardware thing. Or oh, do you yeah, want to which? save that to the end? No, no, go ahead. What do you think it's oh, going to be? Well, I, I, I don't think it's going to be, but it, we need to mention the headset. Oh, the headset. Right. The AR yeah. glasses. The so. AR, the combo AR VR glasses and Reality OS, which is a trademark application that Apple filed for not long ago. Yeah, but you don't think we're going to see that at this one? Some people were thinking, well, maybe we'll see it as a developer platform, but nothing else. Right? Yeah. So again, this, this is coming from Mark Gurman. I think he put it at 2023, mm-hmm. but there were earlier reports from other sites that they were showing it off to shareholders. So right. this is at least at such a stage where they feel confident showing it to people. So like, I think best case scenario, we get a one more thing at the end and they you know, kind of flash it off on stage and tell us what they're working on because that's the other piece of WWDC. I mean, if you remember yeah. when they announced the N1 well before any of those devices came out, they gave themselves like a six month or so lead time in order to let people develop for them. So that could make sense for them to say, hey, we've got this AR VR system coming out. Here's the software developer kit, have at it. Right. Yeah. And they, so they might get a half measure here whereby a lot of the tools end up paving the way for that. And you have to kind of read the tea leaves, which is also something they've done before with like, I remember size independent display features for like scaling is something they released long before they announced kind of like multiple sizes for the phone screens. And people kind of took that later in retrospect. We're like, oh yeah, like we should have seen this coming. Yeah. Right. So, well, so actually, and because see something like that. Yeah, and, the, and that actually does bring us to the software, I think, in, in, yeah. in a nice way, in that going through some of these rumored features here, we're looking at things that will probably make a lot more sense with a future update, one on the watch and one on the iPhone. The main one on the phone being an always-on display, so mm-hmm. basically like really revamping the lock screen in a meaningful way, which I know sounds like 
a small thing. But if you think about it, there's this just huge piece of real estate that Apple isn't using. And that like Samsung has been using a lot of time uh, for a long time. A lot of Android developers have as well. But that requires more than just software, like, you know, among other things that that requires a low power mode. It requires, you know, the, the battery to, to last a little bit longer. I mean, effectively, like anytime your phone is down on a desk, it'll be showing something like, you know, the time or the date. And then, yeah. you know, actually interact with it and you'll be getting some some more widgets on top of that and so, some Apple Apple specific ones. And then, you know, I think, again, since it's a developer conference, like them actually opening this up for developers as a way to essentially put a shortcut on the lock screen itself. Yeah, but we don't think that'll come to existing like that will be dependent upon new hardware, the hardware that phones have now. I think one of the rumors is like it will support refresh rates down to kind of like. The same was the watch, like it can go to one or whatever, I think, hertz or frames yeah. per second or whatever it is, so that you could essentially like sip battery, but display basically a static image or a near static image, right? Yeah, or maybe we'll finally get that e-ink. Oh <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> rumored the e-ink rumor made me super excited. And then another individual on staff who we don't need to name, but... <laughs> is, it the, is it the same one that <laughs> I mentioned the same before? one, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Devin for the listeners yeah. who don't know. Uh, <laughs> Our staff's predilections, who we things, love, but, but like he's he he just lo- he loves uh, raiding on parades. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He also loves ink, though. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean that rumor was really tantalizing. I don't know what to make of it at this point. I'm sure Apple has ink things around the labs, but who knows how many of those things are actually ever going to see the light of day, right? Yeah, and we're talking like you know a few years from now before yeah. Apple introduces any kind of foldable device. But I think probably the reason why you got excited and a lot of other people got excited is because we all remember the Yoda phone. Yes, the Yoda, the Yoda phone. phone. Russian manufacturer, I think. Really? Right? Yeah, yeah. But the Yoda phone had one side e-ink and then one yeah. side traditional LCD display. And it was fantastic. Ahead of its time, really. Yeah, I mean, in the sense that the e-ink was, and like for the most part, still continues to be very bad for most applications that are yes. because of like <laughs> the the resolution and the refresh rate and everything else. The other, I mean, the other piece I think that lines us up for a potential future hardware update is on the watchOS side, and it mm-hmm. is a, an improved low power mode. And, you know, and, and I've been saying this for a long time, and I think probably a lot of people have. I, I think easily the biggest downside with the Apple Watch versus like most other wearables is battery life. Yeah. Most of these, you know, the Samsung devices, certainly uh, the Fitbit, and I expect the Pixel Watch as well, like you can actually wear them for a few days, which makes a lot of sense because sleep is such a big piece here. Right. So, you know, and an Apple's solution to this that they came out with a couple of years ago is, oh, well, it'll charge really fast. So, you know, 20 minutes before bedtime, you can charge it up. But like, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's that, um, you know, apparently like Leonardo da Vinci used to sleep uh, in like 20 minute spurts. And it it just feels like that where you're like always for the entire day are are going to be looking at your battery and trying to get around the charger. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird and sort of like kludgy fix that they have implemented now of the fast charge. And I do the wear it like for sleep tracking and everything else. And yeah, I, I often forget to like find that little bit of time to carve out to charge it and if they can fix that, if they can even extend it to like two days on a charge or something, I think it would make a, a big, big difference in usage, uh, especially if they add more sensors and stuff, mm-hmm. which is something they're constantly doing, right? Yeah. And, and then the last piece, I think this is probably the one that you were the most excited about is iPad OS. Yeah. I am only because I've recently started using a 12.9 inch iPad like as my primary travel device and it's mm. most of the way there for me. But the one thing I would like is 
ironically something that Samsung already offers on their Galaxy Tab S8 line, which is like, this is, it sounds dumb, but the DeX mode yeah. is very, very useful on that device. And it basically just turns it into a windowed desktop operating system like Android. Right? You're, it's okay to say nice things about Samsung sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I think they actually do a really good job with that yeah. line of devices because I also like the OLED displays a lot. But yeah, yeah. And, and they've been working with Microsoft for a long time on that as well. I will say that right now, Samsung's tablets are, they're better work devices than the iPad. I think, you know, if you're really like heavy power user. So, and this is interesting to me contextually as well, because the, so iPad OS came out in 2019. That's when they forked it for iOS 13 and iPad OS, where they said, hey, this is going to be, you know, like a a different thing. These are different devices. It makes sense. It makes sense to not just be a scaled up version of iOS, but it effectively has, for the most part, been a scaled up version of iOS. And then in the last year, they're basically starting to put these laptop processors on the tablets. So like, if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it. Yeah, there is really no excuse anymore. And for a lot of times it has felt like, since that change really, basically, it has felt like they're doing it kind of like out of principle and for no real other reason <laughs> than that they want to maintain some kind of distinction between it and Mac OS, but it doesn't reflect the way people are using these devices. So I'm glad to see the rumors that they're going to add some windowing support and some better multitasking. And I really hope those come true. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. especially now that the M1s and all of these subsequent other chips are out now, like, I mean, there is a distinction, you know, they do have the same yeah. chip, but you're still able to do a lot more on those devices than you could before. But like, I do think Apple has always been cautious about cannibalizing their own products. That's true. Yeah, and they've been very good at defining what the purpose of each is or, you know, making sure that they stay in their own lanes, so to speak. So we'll see if this affects that, but we'll find out all this and more next week. We'll have coverage live starting Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific and then all through the rest of the week. Right, Brent? Yeah, I it really day one. So there's two, there's the keynote and then there's kind of the like state of the union. But then right. the way it's set up as a developer event, there are basically breakouts for the rest of the week. So interesting things come through, but that's sort of like, that's my time to check out and, you know, because we, we've got a couple of events coming up, work on that. And then like Sarah basically like sits in all, the, all those things. Yeah, yeah. But there'll be definitely plenty of Apple related things yeah. for people to read and consume on TechCrunch.com. All right, thanks, Brian. Cool, thank you. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And remember to check out all the stories we talked about in this episode on TechCrunch.com. Also, be sure to use our TechCrunch Plus promo code, TCPodcast. That's TCPodcast, all one word, to get 20% off on both annual and two-year plans. Also, we've got some amazing events coming up, including the TechCrunch Sessions Climate, which will be June 14th in Berkeley, and tickets are on sale now. Check out all the other TC podcasts, including Found, Equity, and Chain Reaction. We'll see you next week. The TechCrunch Podcast is hosted by myself, Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz, with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you.